Chapter 21 of the Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Gaining an Ally. Before mounting guard, however, Tom thought of their horses, a detail which the boys had forgotten in the quick march of events. He and Bob descended the slope, brought the animals into the valley where there was grass along the bed of a little stream trickling from a spring, and a few trees that provided shade. The horses were hobbled to prevent wandering too far, and then left to do as they pleased. They pleased, every one, to lie down at once and roll. Upon their return to the cave, after Bob first had inspected the airplane and found it in tip-top condition and stocked with gas and oil, Tom mounted guard while the boys carried out their intention of taking Stone into the inner room for a conference. Stone made matters easy for all concerned by speaking first, as soon as they were all out of earshot of Morales and von Arnheim, and telling the boys that he had guessed their identities. Of course, I don't know your names, he said, but I reckon one of you is the son of that American big bug old Calamares is holding prisoner up at his ranch, and the rest of you are his pals. Bob's face fell. He had believed their identities were unsuspected. If this man could draw so clever a deduction, then their two other prisoners could do likewise. Moreover, if they carried out their original plan and went to rebel headquarters to enlist, would they not there, too, be suspected? Do the others guess who we are? he asked. Don't know, said Stone. I haven't been given much chance to talk to him, have I? But the German is smart, and he may suspect. But, and with this statement, he set at rest a part of Bob's fears. My bed is pretty close to this room, and I have pretty good ears. I overheard some things that Morales and von Arnheim couldn't hear, especially when you used the radio to call your father. Anyhow, I thought it was your father. Mostly you spoke in code, but I heard you call him Dad a couple of times. The three chums looked at each other, nonplussed. Stone laughed. Until I made out who you were, he said. I thought you were some wild-eyed kids looking for adventure and coming to the right place to find it. But once I got a suspicion, it was easy to figure out the rest. You see, I knew about your owning the airplane that von Arnheim stole, and about your radio stations. When you started the generator, that showed me you knew something about radio. And that was another clue. So I just put two and two together. Anyhow, it finally came to me who you were. Am I right? Yes, said Jack, taking the initiative as Stone concluded. You are correct. It is my father who is held prisoner by the Mexicans, and these are my chums. Jack regarded the other searchingly. We're in trouble, he said simply, and we need help that you could give us. How closely are you tied up with the rebels? You're an American, and we are Americans. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, kid, it does, said Stone. Despite the fact that he was only seven or eight years older than the three chums, he had led a roving life that had given him a world of experience and an older viewpoint, and he persisted in regarding them as youngsters. I'm strong for the good old USA, he continued. But don't get me wrong. These are fine people down here, and don't you believe they ain't. Their standards aren't American standards either, in manners or politics. But just the same, they're good folks, and don't you let anyone tell you different. I wouldn't turn against them for anything. So although your fathers have lots of money... Here he looked fixedly at Bob, who felt uncomfortable remembering his father's authorization to offer Stone money to help them. Well, don't offer me any, that's all. Bob was silent, but Jack again stepped into the breach. Good for you, he said warmly. I'm glad to hear you talk that way, but... And here Jack paused impressively. Suppose imprisonment of my father threatened to the peace and prosperity of the good old USA, as you call it. What then? Stone looked troubled. 
See here, he said. What are you driving at? Shall we tell him what Mr. Temple says is behind all of this? Jack asked his companions. Bob and Frank nodded agreement. Well, began Jack, it's this way. Thereupon he proceeded to relate Mr. Temple's theory that the attacks on the independent oil operators, the capturing of Mr. Hampton, and the attempt engineered by Rollins and Remedios to capture himself, were all part of a plan to embroil the United States government with President Obregon, as the responsible head of the country whence the outrages originated. And Mr. Temple says, concluded Jack, that if the two countries did come to war, it would hurt us very much with all of Latin America. Sure would, agreed Stone thoughtfully. I've knocked about among these Spanish-American republics for years, and they all look on little old USA as a dollar chaser and a bully. He was silent for a moment, and when he resumed, he said, Look here. What you've just told me makes a big difference. You haven't said yet what you are out to do, but I can make a pretty good guess. You're going to try to rescue your father without letting the American authorities know anything about it, am I right? Jack nodded. Well, I'll help you, said Stone. I know where he is and how to get him, and I'll tell you all I know. Hooray! yelled Frank impulsively. Jack and Bob contented themselves with grasping Stone's hand warmly. Realizing Stone was still bound, Bob pulled out a pocket knife and started to cut his bonds. But Stone made him desist. Keep this dark from von Arnheim and Morales, he said, and keep me tied up. They may suspect I'm throwing in with you, but I don't want them to know. I want to be able to make a getaway, because these parts won't be very pleasant for me hereafter. That's right, said Bob. Well, even if you won't take money, you'll have to let my father or Mr. Hampton help you in some way, with a job or something. Stone smiled tolerantly. Buddy, said he, getting along is the least of my troubles. With Stone's aid won, the boys now set about learning from him how matters stood at the Calamari's ranch. For hours they continued to talk, so absorbed that they did not realize the flight of time until Tom Bodine came to inform them that the sun was near setting and to ask what they intended to do that night. By then, however, they had obtained from Stone all the information he could give them, which was considerable. Bob had had another talk by radio with his father, and a plan for further proceedings had been worked out. Jack and Bob were to make the attempt at the rescue of Mr. Hampton alone. They were to fly to the Calamari's ranch in the airplane with Bob at the wheel, as Jack was not so experienced a flyer. Bob, on the other hand, knew his machine thoroughly and was familiar with its every trick, a knowledge much to be desired as airplanes even more than motor cars and ships develop temperament and have got to be humored, so to speak. Frank rebelled at the part assigned him. He was to stay behind at the cave with Tom Bodine and Roy Stone, guarding the prisoners Morales and von Arnheim. When they had rescued Mr. Hampton, Jack and Bob would take him in the airplane and start flying to the Hamptons' ranch. By means of the radio in the airplane, which could send 150 to 200 miles, although it could receive messages from a much greater distance, the Hamptons and Bob would notify the party left behind in the cave. Then Frank, Tom Bodine, and Stone would ride for the border on horseback. Morales and von Arnheim would be left bound so as to prevent their giving an alarm or offering any interference with the program. After the party had been given time to make its way well along toward the border, Rebel headquarters was to be notified by radio from the Hampton Ranch of the location of the prisoners. The latter would, therefore, suffer nothing but inconvenience. But what fun do I get out of this? lamented Frank, enviously regarding Bob and Jack. You fellows get all the fun and all the glory. I ride tamely back to the ranch. 
"'It's hard luck, Frank,' said Bob. "'But your shoulder is sore and aching from your fight last night, "'and I'm in better condition to operate the plane. "'Besides, you know we can't take you, "'as the plane will only hold three, "'and when we get Mr. Hampton, we'll have our full complement. "'Someone of us has to stay behind. "'You've had your share of fun so far, anyhow, "'and your turn will come again.' "'I don't see it,' said Frank. "'It looks to me as if when you rescue Mr. Hampton, "'the fun will all be over.' but that's the way with you big bullies, always picking on the little fellow. Well, you see, said Bob mischievously, I've got to keep you out of danger for Della's sake. Ow! What? Ah, let up! Can't you take a joke? For lame shoulder notwithstanding, Frank leapt and bowling the big fellow out of his chair got astride of his writhing body and began to pummel him. End of chapter 21